Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris here with my friend Scott Lees for another episode of the Surfing Sales Podcast. We are super excited to have with us a gentleman um, who's actually got his first book coming out, um, and he'll tell us a little bit more about it. Uh, if you're watching the video or if you're just listening, it's on the video. It's called Built to Serve. Uh, his name is Evan Carmichael. So Evan, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and he's the founder of the Evan Carmichael Communications Group. I'll ask him what that means in a second. But Evan, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate the love, guys. Thanks for having me. And, and almost episode 50. Congrats. Yeah, we're almost, we're almost there. We are What's almost happening? there. We've been, yeah. we've, been, we've been pumping them out. We've been cranking. I love it, dude. I love it. It's great. Yeah. It's funny, we, we started this going, oh, we should do a season and drop a bunch of them all at once. And then we've gotten to this point where we're like, well, is it really going to be a season or do we, or do we, do we really want to start with like season two, episode one, or do we just want to keep going to 50, 100, 200, you know? So any feedback you have, we'll take it. So uh, It doesn't, doesn't super matter. Uh, just keep, keep putting the content out, guys. It's great. Thank you. We appreciate I'm a big it. fan of all the black and white photos in your background. Is is very similar to the black and white photo in my background. But I have to ask you, what is the story with this glaring red bag of Doritos back there? So so for the uh, for the audio listeners, they can't see it, but I've got a, a giant bag of Doritos. Uh, I'm gonna I'll bring it up. So this is actually the the half human size. So it's like. That is really big. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the big size, and I used well, to I didn't have even it. Recognize that? Wow, yeah. I used to have it right here on my desk, so I, I've replaced it with my book because I'm in book promotion mode now. But but <laughs> the idea here is, uh, I am not sponsored by Doritos. People people often ask me how much is Doritos paying you? Hey, you should you should have something healthier on your desk. Uh, I have a strategy called Damn the Doritos. So I love Doritos. Doritos are my go-to. If, if oh, I'm, God, if yeah. I'm, like, if you open up a bag of Doritos, like, oh, you're I'm not, like, you're I'm, the nacho I'm, cheese guy, the Cool Ranch guy, or all of you. No, guys. I'm the spicy, the the sweet chili nacho one, the sweet chili okay. one, the purple bag. That's that's my favorite. In Canada, it's a black bag, but in the U.S., it's the purple one. Um, that's my go-to. But they don't have it as in as big. You can't get that at Costco. So here's here's why I have it. Most people, when they're on a diet or trying to stay healthy. The, uh, the common advice is get rid of all the junk in your house so that you're not tempted. Yeah. I think that's a great crutch. Like it's a great temporary solution, but I think it actually uh, makes you weaker. Tell me because more about that. You're telling yourself, I suck. You're telling yourself, I'm not able to be around this junk food. And so my only way around it is to just not have it in my house. Then what happens when you go to a party, when you go on vacation, when you go anywhere outside of your perfect environment, you fall apart and you start downing everything. And so I treat it as if you break your leg, you're going to have a cast, you're going to have crutches. Awesome. But your idea afterwards is to walk again, right? You don't want to be on crutches for the rest of your life. So I like doing difficult things. And the fact that I want to, I want to, my mouth is running right now. I want to eat that bag of Doritos, the whole thing right now. And that's how I, that's how I show myself love by doing difficult things. So damn the Doritos, the Doritos isn't stronger than me. Let's go. And so I've got a giant bag in my office at all times. I want to eat it at all times. Does, it, but does this, but does this theory apply elsewhere other than everywhere, everywhere, teaching yourself that I can even, I can even challenge this then. Let me challenge this then because yeah. you know, um, as somebody who 
has gone through addiction, for example, are you suggesting that I should have a bottle of Vicodin next to my desk just to, because not having it around means I hate myself? So uh, this now we get into, into specifics. If it's me, if it's me, I'm a weird, crazy guy. I want that. You want it. So you want, yep. you want if you're an alcoholic, you want the bottle of, of bourbon in the cupboard as a reminder that you are in control and you have power over it. If it's me, I don't want it in the cupboard. I want it in front of my face 24. Yeah. Yeah. I, I now, love the I'm, fact I'm, that, I'm, I, I, sorry, but the best part of, one of the best parts of this is Scott asked this question about addiction. Uh-huh. And for those of you who are listening, he's wearing a baseball hat that says, I heart weed California. Right. So that, that to me is hilarious. But um, I agree with that. Conversation about drugs, Richard, but weed is hardly something that uh, is is addictive and dangerous. Okay. Okay. But to 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 your to your point, it's interesting though that Evan Evan has this particular uh, philosophy. I don't know if this philosophy would work for for everybody, but if it works for him and it keeps him on the straight and narrow, then that then that's fine. I would never argue with that. But everybody. I, I think- Everybody teaching yourself that you do difficult things is the whole game. And I know, you know, you guys talk about sales, but same, same thing, like teaching yourself that you do difficult things and you get up and you make the calls and you do the hard thing. I think it applies to every area of your life. Like the, the people who say, uh, when you have, if you, if you snooze in the morning, take your phone and put it out in the other room. Yeah. I think, I think you're telling yourself that you suck. So really it's interesting philosophy. I, I have a question though, Evan, um, and, and I struggle with weight. Scott and I've actually talked about this a lot, um, which I know is unusual for guys, but he's, he's a, he's a good friend to listen to me. And I've, I've had to work on frame of reference around food, right? How do I change my frame of reference around it? Um, you know, one of the things I started talking to people about was like, you know, don't call it a cheat day, call it a treat day, like calling it a, like, no, nothing. If you cheat at anything, I don't know if you feel good. Like, I don't know who feels good about cheating at anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So. But, you know, if you've worked hard and you can manage your, you know, Dorito addiction um, and you want to have some on a Sunday or whatever day of the week it is, then then that's a good thing. And you should try to own that piece of it, which is something I know Scott's all about. Scott is all about trying to own your challenges as, as I am. But I do have a question. Did you, do you have a challenge with food? Did you go through a, a weight loss period? Like where, where did that even come from just in general for you? Or is it just, hey, I'm still pretty healthy, but I just need to kick this shit, right? Like how, where did that come from for you? So I've never been like massively overweight. Um, I've, I've lost 20 something pounds in the, in the past X months. Last year I broke my neck uh, in two spots while I was on my tour. And, and I kept doing my tour. Like I kept going to the next city. This is, this is it. Like it all, it's all the same thing. I break my neck in two spots, compress my spine and my agent wants me to come home. My family wants me to come home. Like, no, I'm, I'm finishing my tour just to show myself that I can like, it's all about doing difficult things. So as a result of being immobile and sitting, you know, all day long and not being able to do anything, um, I gained weight. And so came back and like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get healthy, but I can't work out even now. Like I'm just able, they don't even want me doing pushups. Like I can do body weight squats. That's all they're allowing me to do until I'm fully healed. What, uh, how did, and how did you break your neck? Was it just from weight or just overexertion or exhaustion or what? Uh, I fainted. So 
I love, I love biohacking and, and finding ways to, you know, improve my body, but I also have a really weak stomach and I can't handle a lot of talk about blood and that kind of stuff. So I was reading and researching and then I just passed out. I've never fainted in my life. Felt, I was just sitting in a chair, passed out, hit my head on the, on the drywall, cut the back of my head open on the, uh, on the baseboard, rushed mm. the hospital, Gary. you know, concussion, never had a concussion in my life before. I wish I had some fancy story like, you should see the other guy. But now yeah. I just fainted in a chair <laughs> and, you know, broke my neck in two spots and had a concussion. And uh, yeah, that was, that was the greatest part of the tour because I kept getting up. Like my, my agent the next day uh, was asking me, like, how am I doing? And I said, I can't even do it. Like, I, I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. Like, my wife has to help me with everything. Um, and he said, you got to film that. Like, you got to film, like, film me going to the bathroom? Like, what do you want? What, what exactly do you want me to film? No, film you that you can't do anything for yourself. Like, just getting changed in the morning and your wife has to help you. And it's like, that made me scared. Like, I'm going to be sitting there, lying in bed, you know, uh, well, it's, pretty, it's very vulnerable, right? Yeah. Ultimate vulnerability. Absolutely. But, but, but then I have to do it. Like if you're afraid of it, you have to do it. Especially if the reason for the fear is other people's judgment, same thing with sales, right? Like if you're afraid to make the call because you might get rejected, you have to do it. You're not allowed to back down from that just because you're afraid, right? Like don't go jumping from your balcony with no parachute on or something, right? Like don't go do something stupid, obviously. But most of the things we're afraid of, are other people's opinions and judgments. And so I like to teach myself that I dive into those things, even if it doesn't work out, even if I get rejected, even people laugh at me for being overweight and like I can't even put my shirt on by myself. Awesome. I'm gonna do it just because I'm afraid. Yeah. So how did how did your just out of curiosity, you know, it sounds like you've got an amazing wife to to allow you to do this, right? Um or did, amazing or did, life or amazing or, wife? What's that? Amazing life or amazing wife? Wife. Wife. Okay, great. Well, both. Yes. Okay, great. But, or, or has she just learned that I can't stop Evan when he sets his mind this way? Um, it's a mix of both. So I'm fortunate in that my wife likes to, my, my wife will join me on anything the first time around. Uh, so that's amazing. But plus, once I've set my mind on something, it's just got to happen. Does she ever put a foot down? Does she, has there ever been a time where she's like, I love you. I know how crazy you are. Like, granted, you're, like, you're not going to go, you know, uh, base jumping off a, a building maybe, but something short of that, does she put, does she, does she keep you in check? Uh, the biggest, the biggest ones we've had is when I go to an event, if I'm speaking at some event, I'm all in and, uh, from the morning until the evening, if I'm, if I'm not speaking on stage, I'm out in the lobby talking to people because I want to be, I want to, if I'm being paid to come to some event, I don't want to just fly in and out. I'm there the whole time helping people. Present. Yeah. Um, and that's my favorite part. Like the speaking on stage is just a permission to then have the one-on-one -on -one conversations afterwards in the lobby, but I'll do it and get sick. I won't even notice. I'll be there in, with a fever haven't gone to the bathroom in eight hours, haven't eaten anything all day long, haven't drinking any, and I won't even notice it and then go back to my hotel room and, and die. Um, and so my wife keeps me, when she comes with me, she keeps me in check. Is like, Hey, you've been in the lobby for six hours. 
we should, we should go back so that you can rest. And so that tomorrow you'll be okay. It's like, Oh, is it already two in the morning? Wow. I didn't realize that. Okay. Let's go. Um, familiar, of, Scott, doesn't it? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you tell uh, us and the audience, you know, what it is that, that you do. So people have context for, um, you know, what your book is about, what your professional life is like and that kind of thing. Sure. So, uh, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, had my first business, real business when I was 19, sold it when I was 22, became a venture capitalist ever since then been helping entrepreneurs not struggle as much as I did. I think your purpose comes from your pain. I talk about a lot in my new book called built to serve humans are built to serve. If you're not happy, it's because you're not serving either the world because you got a giant mission or the 25 closest people to you. But if, if you're not happy, it's because you're not serving. How do you serve? Well, it's through your pain. Whatever you struggle the most with is the thing that you want to help other people through. So there's a lot of people who currently are who you used to be and they need, they need help. And the fact that you've gotten out, even if you're not fully done climbing, you've gotten out, you represent hope and inspiration to people who may not ever yeah. see a way out, right? And so then that becomes your, that, that becomes your purpose for the rest. That'll never get old. Helping the person who you used to be will never get old because there's tons of people out there like that. I mean, I, uh, I resonate with that a ton given all the health challenges and, and uh, life and death situations that I've been through and all that. Do you think that people, well, what, would, what advice would you have to people who are not yet at a place where they're comfortable opening up and being vulnerable and, and sort of taking on that, that mantle of, of, uh, of sharing their experiences and, and giving other people the confidence to get through what they're going through? How do, how, do you, how do you overcome that? Not being comfortable is not a good enough reason. Yeah, but give, give, people, more, give people more than, than that. Right. That's but, but that's the, like, so that if you want to love your life, you have to do uncomfortable things. The reason why you're not further ahead is because you're unwilling to go off and do uncomfortable things. Everything you want out of life. There's uncomfortable things that make sense and uncomfortable things that are fucking stupid. Right. So let, let's, let's make a distinction. A distinction. Of course. But what you're talking about isn't stupid. You're talking about yeah. sharing your story to inspire right. people. Yes. Uncomfortable right. is jumping from a helicopter with no parachute. Great. Don't go do that. But yeah. most of the things that we're actually uncomfortable with are still other people's judgments. We're not afraid of failing. We're afraid of failing in front of people. Yeah. And being right. uncomfortable with sharing your story is not a good enough reason to not take action because what's going to happen is, you know, you're capable of more. You know you're capable of more. You know you can help. You want to help. You know how, how great it feels to help, but you're not helping and you're going to be 95 and look back on your life and say, I could have done something and I didn't because I was too afraid. That's where most people are living right now. Do you think, do you think there's also an element of selfishness to, to keeping all that stuff to yourself and not sharing it with other people? Absolutely. People have a harder time wrapping their head around that. But yes, like... You sharing your story is not selfish. It's the most selfless thing that you can yeah. do. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's the exact opposite. Like what was the big health? What was the, what was the biggest health thing that you had to overcome, Scott? I spent four years in the hospital, basically from age 23 to 27. Uh, autoimmune disease, multiple abdominal surgeries, life-saving surgeries, opioid addiction, all of the above. So talking about opioid addiction, for example, um, I haven't done drugs, so I can't speak to it. I could have empathy. I could help people, you know, push them harder, find their purpose, move them on their mission, but I can't help them in the way that you could help them. 
So somebody came and is struggling with opioids right now and they're in the hospital and they're recovering from all these things. And they feel like, man, it's, it's never going to get better. Like this is my life and life sucks that there's a lot of people who currently like that and they don't see any hope in Scott sharing his story. It's like, huh? Like this guy could get out of it. Maybe I can too. Yeah. And, and, and for me, like I have felt the burden of responsibility to share my story to help people like that. And so it was very easy for me once I got to a place in my life where I was relatively stable and even experiencing some mild, mild successes to just be totally open and candid about everything. It's like, I, I, I have a responsibility to explain to people that if I've gone through all this shit and somehow come out the other side, you certainly can as well. And here's some things that work for me and maybe they'll, they'll work for you. Yeah, and that's the easiest part. The harder part is then showing what you're still struggling with. Like, have you had a relapse at all? Have you wanted to have a relapse at all? Have you, are you afraid to go down this street because that's where something X, Y, Z happened? Like, no, not at all. I mean, I, I, talk, I talk all the time about, I mean, my health struggles are ongoing and it will be ongoing for the rest of my life. The yeah. addiction part is, is, is not something that I struggle with or deal, or deal with in any way at all anymore. Um, that's licked. I got lucky in the sense that it was really mostly physical addiction because of everything that I had been through for real pain and illness and sickness and all that kind of stuff. But I, I talk about it all, all the time. You know, um, everybody who was at surfing sales a week and a half ago, two weeks ago knows that, you know, I'm sort of in the throes of struggles, uh, you know, even right now. So for me talking about it once, um, that just opened the floodgates. And so it's not hard at all for me to continue talking about it. It's like once, once I've done it, cat's out of the bag, like this is who I am, deal with it, everybody, you know, accept it, learn from it, don't turn the channel, whatever you, whatever you want to do. Um, but yeah, I, I could see, you know, if, if, you, if I opened my mouth and had negative reactions to your point or backlash or judgments and then decided to close off and, and not say it anymore. I, I could see some people going that particular route, but I, I have not gone that route as of yet. So there's a couple of things. One, the intention has to be positive. You're, you're sharing the story to try to help. You're not sharing the story to slam somebody, right? So you may make mistakes. It may not come out perfect. People may misunderstand what you're saying, but the, as long as the intention is positive, you keep going. Um, the only caveat I would have is I don't want to throw somebody else under the bus. And sometimes your personal story relates to that. Like maybe your mom injected you with drugs and that's how you got addicted, but you don't want to throw your mom under the bus and say, this is what happened, right? So there's some sensitivities there around bringing other people into the, into the scene. But apart from that, if you're afraid of it, you have to do it. Like this, this is the thing that will fill you up for life. If somebody heard about, Scott's story and then writes to him and says, Scott, you inspired me, man. And I finally got clean after, after 20 years of being addicted to drugs. That's going to feel oh, yeah. Scott, way more than, hey, Scott, you helped me close an extra sale in my business. Like That's going to be the thing that will fill him up so much. 100%. And, I, and I've gotten those kind of messages and I get messages similar to that all the time. And Evan's absolutely right. Like, it doesn't matter what I'm dealing with or going through. Like one message like that fills my cup, so to speak. And, and, and it's all I need. Like that shit will sustain me for, you know, a week, two weeks, a month, whatever. Right. So. 
So, so now it's leaning in more on it so that you're making more content talking about you're coaching people, you're helping people more. Like the more you lean in, this is, this is for me, before we went live, Richard was asking, you're an introvert. So maybe we should talk about that. I'm naturally introverted. It doesn't come across in podcasts like this and, and, you know, you guys created an amazing environment, but I've also been doing this for 20 years. The thing that pushed me through is just a sense of purpose and wanting to serve. Every time I make videos, I still get anxiety. Like before coming on to uh, an episode like this, I still get anxiety because I want to, I want to make this the best show that is possible for me and possible for you guys. Right. When I'm, when I'm taking a stage and speaking to a couple thousand people, I get anxiety before getting on stage. So why, why stress out? Why give myself the anxiety? Like why bother doing it? Because my purpose demands it because I'm here to serve because it's not about me. It's about the message. And if one person listened to this now has a little bit more courage to do something difficult, I'm pumped. That's what it's all about. Yeah. The healthy amount of butterflies, as I, as I say, is good. You don't want to, you don't want to have anxiety to the point where it cripples you and you can't get up on stage. But I, I, I've, I've always, I mean, I played sports for years and years and years and years and uh, before every single game, doesn't matter who I was playing, there's always some element of nerves. Every time I go to some event and I have to sit on some panel or whatever, always a little bit nervous. Sometimes I get nervous before any single call that I'm making that is a, a sales call, whether it's a prospecting call, a demo, or a closing call, whatever. There's always some little bit of butterflies there. Yeah. And, uh, if you look at your calendar for the next month and there's nothing in there that makes you nervous or gives you butterflies like Scott you're says. You're not doing enough then. You hate your life. Not even that. You hate your life. If there's nothing in your calendar that makes you nervous, you hate your life. It just means you're waking up every day and photocopying the same day over and over and over again because you're living inside your comfort zone. You hate your life. And that's so, Evan, honestly most of America. Yeah. Evan, what's on your calendar in the next month that makes you nervous? Talking to you guys was a good no, start. Come on. Uh, I get it. <laughs> I like that healthy stuff. But like, do you, do you, are you, I mean, you seem like someone who's a goal setter, right? Like, hey, I need to accomplish this, whether it's I'm going to read 25 books this year or I'm going to focus on this or those. What are some of those challenges you like to put in front of yourself to encourage you to stretch your limits? So I'm a little weird duck. I mean, with a lot of stuff, I guess. But uh, with goals, I don't believe in five-year goals or 10-year goals. Right. Um, I think if you, if you have a 10-year goal for yourself, awesome but it's, it's super small compared to what you're capable of. Like if you look at who you were 10 years ago, to think that you could with any kind of accuracy predict where you are right now is ridiculous. If you're growing, right? If you're just doing the same thing every day, great, then you can predict it. But to think that in five or 10, if you guys listen to this podcast yeah. and you're taking what, what Scott and Richard are saying, your life will change in three months. You'll be a different person. Yeah, let alone that, five years or 10 years. We overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what we can do in 10. Right? thousand percent. So I think you, so for me, it's mission. Like I want to solve the world's biggest problem, which I believe is people don't believe in themselves enough. I think it's the number one problem in the world. And so I wake up every day trying to take that on, realizing that I'm never going to take that on. Like it's never going to happen. I'm never going to solve that problem. But, but it leads me to want, to get up every day and try, like take another scoop from the ocean, right? So pop it on here with you guys, right? It's a couple more people and now the audience as well, learning about the message and hopefully it, it sparks somebody else to, to shift. So I'm 
mission, lifetime, never going to happen. And then like, what am I doing right now to try to make that happen? But, so, but come back to me. So what's, what's on your, what's on your calendar? Anything exciting? Are you, you know, are you going to go base jumping in a, in a month? Are you going to go, um, you know, get on an airplane tomorrow and, and try and defeat this virus? Given, given the state of the world, that would, that would, could be very scary right now to right. get on an airplane. That stuff, like, so I'm, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm hopping a flight next month to go speak at Russell Brunson's book launch. I just came back from San Diego at an event. That stuff doesn't, that stuff doesn't really freak me out too much. Um, I'm, I'm maybe a little too practical and logical there, right? Like if you look at the data behind Corona, you know, everybody's going to exposure at some point, but the, the mortality rate for somebody 39 years old, healthy, taking care of themselves is like massively low. Um, my biggest fear is disappointing people. What scares me more than anything else is I'm going to show up and I'm going to let people down. And so what scares me is, is showing up on a day like today and I'm doing 11 interviews today in different shows. And every time I'm going to have a little heart putter, like, Oh my God, I hope I do well. Um, I'm in book launch mode and all the people that I've helped over the past five years, I'm now calling on and emailing and DMing to say, Hey, can I send you my book? And I'm nervous before I send it. Like, have I done enough for them that they're going to want to, what if they don't, what if they don't accept it? What if they say no? What if they don't, what if they ignore me? I've done so much work for them, but maybe they still don't support me. And so every day putting myself in that position of um, potentially disappointing people and getting rejected is the thing that, that is the most scary thing for me. I think that's, I think that's a huge key to sales, right? Like that is, we're afraid to disappoint ourselves. We're afraid to disappoint our significant others. We're afraid to disappoint our boss. We're afraid to disappoint the customer. Like that's a, that fear is a massive motivator, either positively or negatively. Right. Um, and it's refreshing to see how you do that in a positive way. I think that's really, really helpful. Um, by the way, you can send me the book. I'll gladly do anything you need me to do. <laughs> I appreciate so, you. <laughs> I'll, I'll even read a chapter or two on the audio version if you want. So there it is. I love it. You got the voice for it. It's great. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I have a face for radio. What can I say? Um, <laughs> but, uh, or podcasting now that it's the 21st century. So what, uh, where, where did all this start? Like you said, you started your first company at 19, sold it at 22. Yep. What was the company? Where'd you get the idea? How did that even, you know, where, where did that entrepreneurial thing come from in you? And you may even go back further and say, well, you know, yeah, I started it at 19, but you know, when I was seven, I did X, you know? Yeah. So I had a lot of entrepreneurial tendencies growing up. Um, I mean, you know, I made my first 10 cents when I was five drawing pictures with my sister and selling them to my neighbor, uh, and had the whole baseball card when I was 12, 13, that craze going on. I'm, I'm from Canada, Toronto, the, the blue Jays, uh, our baseball team won back to back world series when I was 12, 13. And so it's also the height of the baseball cards. And so I'm, I was, I was, I cut my entrepreneurial teeth on baseball cards negotiating as a 12 year old with somebody who's 45 over a dollar or 50 cents on the cards. But, uh, in my high school yearbook, it's, so where are you going to be in 10 years? I said VP at a bank. So entrepreneurship wasn't part of culture at the time. I didn't know any entrepreneurs. There was nobody in my family who was an entrepreneur. And so it didn't even seem as a career path or an option, even though I had a lot of entrepreneurial tendencies. Um, when I was in university, so that first company was 19. It was early stage drug discovery software. Uh, so helping, helping researchers find cures for AIDS and cancer and all sorts of stuff. We helped make the software for it. 
Um, I am not a, a technical guy. I'm not a scientist. Uh, two of the people that I connected with at my university, they were. I became the business guy. And I had to make the hardest decision of my life, which was, do I go work at Merrill Lynch or McKinsey and make 100K a year and travel around the world and be the banker that I said I wanted to be? Or do I take 30% of this startup, make 300 bucks a month, and give this entrepreneur thing a shot? And it was the hardest decision I had to make, but I decided, you know what? I'd rather know and fail than not know. And, and I looked my life through the lens of regret. Like, I'm going to regret not starting this thing. I'll give myself a year. I could always go find another job. It may not be the same job, but I can get another job. This business, I didn't know if I'd ever have another shot like this. So I had to go off and do it. Um, and ever since then, it's, it's been, I've never had to go back and get another job. I mean, we struggled a lot. It was the, the first year was like the worst days of my life in terms of worthiness. And I made it harder for myself and that I didn't ask for help. I was too ashamed to say that I was struggling. Um, I couldn't afford to go out. You know, I had 20 bucks a month that I would use for my entertainment budget. So I would tell my friends that I'm living the entrepreneur life and hustling. Meanwhile, like I just can't afford 10 bucks for pizza, you know, and, and they would have spotted me if I asked, I, I just made it harder on myself. Um, so, so eventually we turned it around, but yeah. So what do you, what do you give, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's feet, who's facing that right now? Right. Um, and, and it could be one of a couple things. One is I'm making that decision between this job and that job or this opportunity and that opportunity. Um, or, Hey, when you, you know, when you are early in your life, you know, cut yourself some slack. Like what, what advice would you give yourself back then now? Right now that, now that you're 20 years later, you're clearly more sophisticated and mature. Um, you know, what advice would you give that younger you? So one, big decisions with the heart, small ones with the head. Your head only understands a world that currently exists where your heart can create something brand new. Your head is logical, practical, keeps you safe. You know, if, if we looked at Scott in the hospital addicted to drugs, logically, he shouldn't be where he is right now. I wouldn't be here if it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Darwin would have took care of me. Yeah, like he shouldn't be here. Logically, he shouldn't be here. <clears throat> big decisions with the heart. Like, what do you want to make? What's the life that you want to create for yourself? And trusting that and leaning in on it. Um, so whenever you're making a choice between X and, and, and Y, which one is your heart telling you to go off and do? Because if you don't do that, you're going to regret it your whole life. You're going to take the safe path and then wonder, what if I just did that thing? So I'd rather know and fail than not know. Um, and then second, I would just say to, to believe in yourself more. It's still the biggest problem. It's still my biggest problem. As much as I'm trying to solve it for other people, it's still my biggest problem right now too. Like 95-year-old Evan's coming back to 2020, Evan saying, dude, like believe in yourself more. Crush it harder. Go chase it down. Stop being afraid. Let's go. Do you, would you say that that's your imposter syndrome, which is sort of the, the word we hear a lot? Or is it, no, it's not quite imposter syndrome for me. Um, not really. I mean, I'm afraid of disappointing people, I guess. And that I don't feel like a fake. I feel like I just may not perform or deliver or give people what they want. Like if you guys ask me to your podcast, I'm afraid that I'm not going to have something that will help you with what you need, but I'm not trying to be somebody who I'm not. I'm not coming on and saying, Hey, I'm 
XYZ salesperson and I'm going to teach you how to do this, but like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. Um, so staying in my lane, I think has helped. And also just the, the willingness to be yourself and be okay with it. Like the, the micro, uh, daily attempts at I'm nervous, I'm afraid. And so I'm going to do it gives you the courage to then actually start to live the life that you want and be the person that you want to be. So I have one more question along that, which is you, so you've given advice to yourself, right? Where in your life or how did you experience, or how do you give this advice to people of, Hey, when someone's going to give you advice, you have to be willing to accept it. Right. There, you know, if you go to 12 step programs, right. Step one is you have to be willing to accept that there's a higher power, whether you call it God or karma or whatever, that you can't control this. How do you, can you teach someone that? Are there words that you can do to encourage people to say, Hey, not only do you need to go out and ask for advice, but then be willing to try and at least hear what's being said and decide if you want to accept it. So I think with, when you're trying to help somebody else out, it's meeting them with compassion where they're at. So every case is different. Some people are ready for advice. And with that person, they're, maybe they've just hit the lowest low and they're ready to go and they're finally willing to risk public failure and they're just, they're gonna do it. And so you can go really quickly with that person. Those Other are the, those, people- Those are the people that a lot of leaders really enjoy working with. It's a lot less work. People are ready to go, right? Yeah, I hit rock bottom. Yeah, of course. There's just a lot fewer of those people. Um, are there so fewer of them, or are there few of them who are willing to admit it? Uh, well, either way, they're not taking the action that they need to take. Um, so, what do you do with all the other people who, as you, as you're learning and growing, it's natural for you to want to help, especially the people closest to you. You've gone through this journey. You've come out the other side. You're a new person. You naturally just want to gift it to all the people around you. It seems so obvious and easy. Like, just go do this and you could change your life too. But a lot of people aren't receptive, aren't open. And so instead of judging them, it's meeting them with compassion where they're at and trying to find... Like what I'm doing with my content, I've got a YouTube channel. We've got 300 million views, 2 million plus subscribers on it. I'm trying to create content every day so that maybe when you hear me say it or you hear Richard says it or Scott says it or Oprah says it or Elon says it and, or maybe it's the 88th time you've heard it, finally something seeps in. It's like, huh, now I'm getting it. It's that Scott, consistency. Scott, we're like Oprah. You're like Oprah hey, and Elon. Officially, Evan has said we're like Oprah. Yeah. You came before Oprah, but listen, you mentioned the 12 steps. One of the, one of the best parts of that for me is you, one of the 12 steps is you have to give back. Mm -hmm. You've got to be the, what's what's not, it's not called the guide or mentor. You've got the sponsor, right? You have to sponsor somebody else. It doesn't stick unless you are actually sponsoring somebody else, right? You're built to serve to, to, to show how you are helping, like that you matter, that you're doing something meaningful serving others hits the same part in your brain as having food and having sex, which are also both pretty important. <laughs> so it's, it's hardwired into us. We want to help. We want to serve. Most of us just have no idea how to do it. And we're afraid of rejection and afraid of being seen as a, as a fake. And so we don't do anything. So you've got your foot on the gas and a brake at the same time, knowing you're capable of more, but being too afraid to reach out and help. Yeah. How, uh, how often are you traveling around these days? Um, I was, how much? 
I was, I'm supposed to be actually right now on a 90 day tour in the U S uh, the border wouldn't let me in for 90 days. So I got, I got turned around for my book tour at the border. Uh, literally, you but, literally got turned around. Like you, you flew here, you landed in wherever and they said, Nope, go home. So this was supposed to be a driving tour. Uh, uh but yes, to, we got stopped at the Austin. border. He was supposed I, to be in Austin. I was supposed to come to Austin. Yeah. Right now I'm supposed to be in, in Florida somewhere instead of Toronto, cold Canada. Um, and I did, this tour, I did this tour last year, uh, West Coast, and no problem. And I've been in and out of the US for the past 20 years, no problem. Just one of the guys at the border just decided that he doesn't like my idea and won't let me in. Um, but since then, I've gone to Puerto Rico to speak. I've gone to, well, Whistler's in Canada to speak. Uh, just came back from um, California, heading to Idaho. So I'm in and out doing different engagements. Um, but yeah, I should be on my 90-day tour. Give, give, give some people some tactical advice who are entrepreneur, entrepreneurs. You've built companies. You were a VC. What are some tactical advice that people should follow if they're interested in getting their uh, startup funded? Funded, uh, yeah. first off, try to find the, the fastest way to revenue possible. So people have big ideas, which is amazing. And we often make it so big that, well, we can't do anything until we get VC funding. How, how, much, how much revenue do you, do you think is a solid benchmark? I had this conversation with somebody uh, earlier this week, actually, who literally has like $600 in MRR right now. And, and they're like, well, what's, what's like a good number? How many, how many customers or how much MRR or ARR? What, what would you say is like, okay, these people have proved that they could get revenue. So it depends who you're trying to pitch to. You're going to an angel investor. You're trying to get VC funded. Yeah. Let's say, let's say, let's say uh, series A, let's say I'm trying to raise a series A. Great. Uh, they don't care so much about revenue. They care about momentum. So they care about how fast is your user base growing month over month over month, week over week over week. And is it, is it, is it looking like the hockey step curve going up? Um, they want to see that you have a cost model that is not crazy. So it scales, right? Like VCs want to make 30% average per year off their investment and be in and out in three to five years. Can you provide that? Yeah. But the, but the, but the feedback that, that uh, early entrepreneurs get is what you said, which is like, you know, talk to me when you, when you have some revenue. And without fail, every single entrepreneur early stage is like, well, how much revenue? Like, what do you, what do you mean? How, so how, you got you to give some kind of benchmark. Like if I, if I was in the, the room with you and I was pitching you back in your VC days and you said to me, well, you know, come back when you have some revenue, I'd be like, okay, how much? How much do you want to see? Do you want to see a thousand? Do you want to see 10,000? Do you want to see a hundred thousand? Do you need to see a million? What do I got to do in order to convince you that I've got, you know, a revenue model here that works? A revenue machine. More important than the revenue number is the momentum and growth number. Like if you came in and said, I have a million dollars revenue right now, you're ahead of way, way more companies and then get pitched to the VCs. But if I look at your last year, you were 900,000, like, right. ooh, like what happened? I don't want to fund this business. You're not going to be able to grow 50% a year, right? Like I want to see, I need to get my, I need to get my return, right? I want 30% return average per year off my investment at least. Did you enjoy, did you enjoy your time in the venture capital world? Um, yeah, no, I did. I mean, I sold my business when I was 22. I didn't 
know what to do next. I mean, good problem to have, had some money, awesome, but I'm 22 and I, I didn't want to go get a job, so I didn't know what to do next. And we never needed to raise capital for our business. We got bought before we needed to raise. So that was our question internally. Do we raise capital and build this behemoth or do we sell now while the industry is consolidating? Um, and it actually ended up just being my partners wanted to get to California and the company buying us was in California. And so they got their green cards as a result of selling the company. Um, so I hooked up with a VC company just because I wanted to learn more than one industry. And so I connected with uh, four guys who are all in their 60s or 70s who knew the street, had it wired, uh, but needed help with deal flow. And so I came in helping generate deal flow and then learn about, I got to sit in on the meetings. I didn't know what I was, I didn't know anything about VC, but I got to sit in on the meetings and see how they dissected the businesses, which was an awesome learning experience to get access to all sorts of different high growth companies, right? That's why like the momentum matters. Even if you don't have revenue, how fast is your user base growing? Were you like a thousand last week and now you're 10,000 this week and next week you're going to be at 50,000? Like I, I need to see that hockey stick momentum way more than you have to come in and have X in uh, revenue. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice for people. But I mean, I don't want to leave it too general. I think if you're coming in to a VC with zero revenue and a hundred users or something, it's like, you're just way too soon. I think that, that's family. That's family and friendly VC, right? Like that's what you go to family and friendly fan friends and family and you know, sort of that uh, seed stage round, I think when you're at that level. You're, I think yeah. if, you're, if you're lucky nowadays, if you're lucky, I don't, I don't even know if you can get away with that really. Well, I saw somebody this week got 10 million in series A and I was like, who's, it's, that, it's somebody, who's that somebody that did that without traction or momentum or revenue? Cause it would have to be based on their reputation. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at it, but I was like, wow, 10 million. So um, it was crazy. Well, here's the thing too, a lot, of, a lot of deals, and I didn't know this before I got into the industry, a lot of deals die because of who the investors are, who the early investors are. So if you're starting a company and you just go friends and family, and in the industry it's called DDIs, dentists and doctors with disposable income, you go in to get a bunch of dentists or doctors to find you and you're giving up a chunk of your company, those guys won't likely be helping you grow your business. And a... And a, a actual angel or a VC doesn't want to come in to just buy out another investor. They want to come in to see that you're going to grow and scale the company. So there were a number of companies that we brought through who we just couldn't get funded because of who their early investors were. The owners didn't have enough equity in the company to make it worth. And the new funders don't want to come in and just buy out the existing angel investors. So Yes, friends and family, but be careful you don't give up too much or bring on the right people. You need, you need smart money. People are going to actually help you build and grow the business. So ask yourself, do I want this person to be on, on my board? What's, I, what's, too, this, what's too much? When you, what would you say is too much? You said don't give away too much. What would be too much? So talk to the 22-year-old or 20-year-old kid out there who's in school who's going through this right now. What's too much to give away? So if you're, if you're going to a VC and you're under 50, 60%, it's going to be really hard. If you're going to an angel, like a serious angel, and you're under 75, 80%, it's going to be hard. Good. Got it. Got it. Interesting. So, so we're, we're sort of getting towards the end. Uh, I know you got another 
what you said, another 10 things you got to do today, right? Um, this has been fun. We've kind of been all over the map with the, with the questions. I like it. That's what, that's what we do. So this, this is one like the Seinfeld of podcasts. I love it. This is great, guys. It's fantastic. Um, how can we help you? What, what can we do to help? I mean, you're, by nature, I think all three of us are givers, right? We like to try and support other people. Um, you certainly hit a certain level of success, uh, but we still want to help and support you. Obviously, the podcast will, the book, you know, when is the book being released, by the way, just so we know? Probably by the time this comes up. So March 17th is launch date. I don't know how quickly you kind of turn around these episodes and put them up. Pretty quick. Um, So, but how can we help you? What can, what, what is, what could Evan, what can we do for Evan? Personally, professionally, whatever. Yeah. I mean the, the fastest, most selfish thing is, is, you know, book trying to get eyes on it trying to get awareness of it. Um, The more kind of mission longer term thing is, is keep encouraging people to, to spread believe and, and chase down their things, you know, and like Scott lean in more and helping people who are struggling with addiction and health issues. And Richard, we didn't dive into your story, but whatever the thing is that you struggled with helping other people do that and mental health and depression. Yeah. Right. Like the whole, I talk about it all the time. Like Scott, um, I think that's why we like, we're kindred spirits that way that we like to tell our story without. Yeah. Especially being martyrs. Yeah, it said differently, like, my body is fucking thrashed and Richard's brain is thrashed. So we're a good, a good combo. <laughs> right, Richard? I, like I would it. agree. <laughs> you, you put, you put both of us together and we are a perfect, you know, fuck up. That's right. Together we're one perfect human. So, so lean in on it more, right? Like, I, I didn't know that until I talked to you. And looking at your Apple podcast description, none of that is kind of in there. Um, lean in on that more. Try to bring it into the episodes you're doing. Think about who you're bringing on. And yes, you can still talk about sales, but still with that. We idea. do. I, I, I purposely didn't bring it up because you and Scott were going pretty deep. And um, yeah. I'm, I'm very conscious of not going, ooh, 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 me, I have a challenge too. Like I, I want, I want the, <laughs> I'm conscious of that. Like I'm happy to share my story anytime and have you on and talk about it and share yeah. anything. Um, but I don't want to disrupt a good conversation that I think is happening uh, between two people. So I'm, that's yeah. why. So, but, um, well, we're happy to do all that, Evan. Anything you need from us, please, uh, by all means, I'll, I'll send you my address. I'd love the book. Uh, I'm serious. If, you, you know, if you're going to do an audio book, I'll read a chapter if you want me to, or I'll read the whole fucking thing. I don't care. Um, you know, but whatever we can do to support you, uh, I know I speak for Scott saying we will gladly do it. Yeah, everything except reading the audiobook because I recorded my own audiobook and it's yeah. a motherfucker. So I'll let Richard. Do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I recorded my audiobook for both my books. It was a two day process yeah. for one and three days for the other. Um, but fun, right? Like we do hard things, guys. It is fun. I like too. see if you if you put my voice with Scott's face again, we're a perfect human being. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for the time, Evan. Thank you, Evan, guys. Thank you so much, man. Good luck with the book and the tour. Yeah, I, hope you get, I hope you get back in soon. Like, you know, um, you know, stay safe, stay healthy in these next few weeks. So uh, we loved having you on, man. Appreciate you guys. Cheers. Cheers.